Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in our study of the New Testament. This is part number 245. Congratulations for making it this far. We're in Revelation chapter 11. I think there's 22 chapters, so we're uh, 10, 11 weeks away from being done. Got some holidays to throw into the mix. Um, so it, I think in February we'll actually finish the New Testament. It took us just a little bit over five years. Very good. We'll hop into the, the Old Testament. The week that we're done, the next week we'll start in Genesis. It'll take us 15 years. And uh, then you'll have the whole thing in a chapter at a time, verse by verse. I've read every word of the New Testament to you over the last 245 weeks that I could. And we'll have it all read all the way through 15 and a half years from now. Very exciting. At least I know what I'm doing on Wednesday nights. It's not like I got to hunt for it. Next 15 years. And then you know what I said I'd do? We'll start all over again. God willing, if he ain't come back yet, fire it up. Next time my notes will be done already. <laughs> I'll have the next 20 years really laid out after that. <laughs> you wonder what that'll be like, you know, 15 years from now. What's the technology going to be then? It won't be an iPad. It'll be like here in space in front of me or something. <laughs> I can be like on the... You ever see the Mar Iron Man guy? <laughs> okay, I digress. Talk about the future. We're in the book of Revelation. And uh, fascinating book. Remember I've told you there's lots of different ways to interpret Revelation. And that's good. And so uh, I will primarily come at it from a futurist point of view, which means I believe that these events are yet to come. However, there's some excellent other ways to interpret the book of Revelation. I'm, I'm okay with if you differ, and that's fine. It's, you can listen to this one and then think about where you're coming from. The, you know, there's, uh, there's some people believe that it's all symbolic, that none of these events will ever happen. It's just a picture of good and evil. Some people believe that all of these events happened already uh, in John's lifetime. And so they're all written, done, and over. Um, and then within all those viewpoints, there's a whole lot of other viewpoints. So uh, it's because it's a prophetic book, and we're not really sure, and we have to sort of take some, some guesses at it sometime. But uh, I've told you from the beginning, the important thing is about Revelation, that it's a revelation of Jesus. It's always learning what we can learn about Jesus in it. That's what we're trying to do. What can we take away from it that impacts us today? And that's what you look for. And that's where the blessings in the book of Revelation come from. So we're always looking to see what we can take away from it today and what it means. And, you know, always there's the promise that he's coming back. And we're excited about that. That's a, that's a great day for believers. The great and terrible day of the Lord. Um, for unbelievers, it's a different event. But for us, it's a, it's a fantastic event. But the reality of um, the hard-heartedness of people should always settle on us so that we understand how important it is for us to continue to look for ways to share the gospel with them and that this becomes the, our heart, our mission, um, why we're here. Never, never getting to that spot where um, we don't care any longer. We think, oh, too bad for you. But always, you know, the heart of God is that people would come to know him. Um, it's always been the heart of God. It will continue to be the heart of God. Even in the midst of the judgment and the wrath that's being poured out against evil, the heart of God is that people would repent and come to know him. And that's, that's who God is. Uh, and yet, evil has to be dealt with. Um, and it's, it's a significant problem. And it, uh, it, there's, 
you know, it's the reality when we read this stuff about the significance of sin and evil, what has to be dealt with. So all of that's in the mix as we look through the book of Revelation together. And, um, you know, my encouragement has been don't get bogged down trying to figure everything out. You can't. Um, you, to give what you can of it and ask the Spirit of God to reveal things to you and, and learn, you know, as you can. Um, never be afraid of it because ultimately it's a book about Jesus coming back, which is good, and that he's got us regardless of how it all works out. You know, if these are events um, that, that this seven-year period that we're reading about is something the church has already been taken out of, um, very cool. If we're in it for three and a half years, okay. He's, gonna, he's got us eternally if we're in it for all seven. The promise is that he's... We're, we're, you'll read where believers are kept from harm. That doesn't mean that, that believers won't die in the process, because they will, but their, their eternal um, life is settled in him, and so we don't need to be afraid of any of it. And um, sometimes I think it's a, it's a pretty good wake-up call. Revelation is, it's a pretty good picture, a wake-up call about how we picture Jesus. Because, um, you know, the, the, the descriptions of Jesus in Revelation are pretty startling. And it's also, you know, a pretty good reminder of, um, um, you know, the reality of life and not getting sort of settled into a, a very small world view that revolves around you but that this whole thing is much different and doesn't revolve around us, it revolves around him and that begins to change our perspective. And I think Revelation is good at helping us remember that because we have a tendency because of our nature to get um, very much consumed about ourselves and not about the bigger picture. And God is always wanting us to have a bigger picture in mind because that's where life is found. So um, neat thing today, primarily we're going to focus on is, because um, I think it's very interesting, um, John's going to introduce us to us these two witnesses that show up. And uh, it's a great sort of thought about these, these two guys that show up in the midst of this. And they're supernaturally protected for 42 months. And they just preach the gospel and nobody can do anything about them. Nothing. And then that exact, exact point in time, the enemy comes up and kills them. And they lay there for three and a half days. And then they resurrect. And uh, it's, it's something that the whole world sees. Now, and again... Remember, John is writing this. That wasn't even possible. Um, but it is now. Now an event can happen and the whole world can see it. We see it all the time. Uh, we'll see it live. So, you know, depending on where we're at and the scope of things, when these things happen, whatever's going on will be televised unless, you, you know, so it's, it's pretty, or you're watching it on a computer or however. It could be a thousand years from now. Who knows what that looks like? So uh, I don't know what the devices will be, but it's fascinating to think about some of these things that, weren't possible when John wrote about them, are now possible, and maybe that there's things going on that we can't even begin to fathom yet that will take place. So let's look at Revelation 11, it's 19 verses, I will read them to you, and then we'll just talk about some of the highlights. Beginning in verse 1, I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshippers there, but exclude the outer court, do not measure it, because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months, and I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes down from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. <laughs> yeah, so that'll make you go, ooh. These men had power to shut up the sky so that it would not rain during the time they are prophesying. Three and a half years. And they have power to turn the waters into blood 
and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Now when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom in Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in the cloud while their enemies looked on. At that very hour there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. The third woe is coming soon. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant, and there came flashes of lightnings, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Fascinating developments taking place here in um, Revelation 11. And, and I think, you know, things before we even talk about the two witnesses, make sure that what you see is that they had finished their testimony before the enemy had any opportunity to take them out and um, the enemy was convinced he was doing some marvelous thing and then uh, then it's turned all the way around when they were brought back to life and tossed up in the clouds. Does that sound like any other story and any other thing you've ever heard? Yeah, there's some stuff going on. Voice coming down from heaven. We've seen some of this happen once and then some neat things are going to happen again in the future. So just sort of hang on to that as we go. Now in verse 1... Um, he's measuring a temple and this is um, an interesting sort of thought now um, this can't be Herod's temple the temple was there because that was destroyed 25 years before John's revelation it had been completely done away with um, by Nero um, when he went crazy and, and um, so it's not that temple now what temple is it so m- many people who hold a futurist viewpoint so when I say that, that I tend to hold will believe that what has to happen between now and the end is that a physical temple in Israel has to be rebuilt. And so they'll, you'll hear them talk about all the time. Well, that has to be rebuilt um, in order to fulfill these prophecies. However, I think that it's possible that the temple they're referring to refers to the spiritual holy temple, which consists of true believers of God. And even if the church had already been wrappered out, we already know that there are those who are coming to Christ um, during this tribulation time that will be part of this holy temple. And Ephesians 2, 19 uh, through 21, you can write this down, look at it a little later. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, uh, but fellow citizens with God people and members of God's household. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, which Christ Jesus himself, with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So, even with a futurist viewpoint, it's possible that the temple that they're talking about there is a spiritual temple and, and that the, um, the measuring that's being taking place is a reference to um, a, uh, a protection that God will have over his people um, even during this period of time um, that, that it's measured, they're measured out. That means that the enemy can't um, harm them spiritually. Physically, we know believers are going to get taken out all the time, um, but they are eternally settled in the Lord. So, it's either referring to a spiritual temple or a physical temple will be rebuilt. That's still a possibility. It might happen. Um, there's a lot of... You know, you, if, you, if you study any of that stuff, um, there's a lot of stuff written about that, that there's all sorts of plans ready for that thing to go if they could ever figure out how to clear up the entire problem in the Middle East. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I don't know that that's going to happen in the next short little period of time. But you never know. So that's the whole deal. See, sometimes we try and... People try and figure out this book based on circumstances at, at hand... But how many of you have realized that circumstances can change like that? Everything that you know can change just like that. I can't make a good click. There we go. Um, so, so, you know, that's why it's, you know, we didn't have even Israel as a nation until 1967. Um, and that just sort of, or 1947, pardon me. And then they didn't even have back in that area until 20 years later. And so it's still tense you just never know what's going to happen what it means but it, it may nece not necessarily mean that they have to rebuild a physical temple um, but they might I don't know anyway something to think about so because so, some people are waiting well that's the sign you don't know that because it could be a spiritual temple then you won't know so there's lots of other things to look for alright so let's talk about these two witnesses I think this is pretty fascinating discussion and uh, we'll spend a lot of time who are they now there's there's um, three primary viewpoints there could be a whole lot more. There's three about who these two witnesses are, and it's, it's sort of fascinating. Um, some people believe it's Moses and Elijah. Some people believe it's Enoch and Elijah. And some people believe it's just two unknown believers that, we, that don't need to be tied to historical people. But all three viewpoints are fairly valid, and it can go either way. So let's just, I thought we'd talk about them a little bit. Um, so so if, it, if it's Moses and Elijah, which some people believe it is, they're seen um, as being the two guys for, for a couple of, well, several pretty good reasons, really. Um, uh, they had um, the, these guys, these two witnesses, can turn water into blood. And uh, Moses was sort of known for doing that. And uh, so he, that was one of the things that he could do. And they also have this ability to destroy people with fire. And Elijah was, was, was known for doing that. He did that in Second Kings chapter 1. And... Uh, Moses did his thing in Exodus chapter 7. So there's that. Another um, big thing that people sort of point to these two is that Moses and Elijah, if you remember, they're the ones that appear with Jesus at the transfiguration. So they go, oh, well, there, there they are at that point. That's in Matthew 17, 3 and 4. Uh, just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I always like that. Um, I get a kick out of Peter. Well, it's a good thing we're here. You're just, you're just the, the creator of all things. <laughs> the one who led the people free from bondage and uh, a prophet that was pretty cool. 
Good thing we're here. We can build you a couple of tents. <laughs> Let's pitch a tent. <laughs> I love that stuff. What else would you say? I mean, if you were Peter at that point, uh, tents? <laughs> okay. Um, also, uh, the, the uh, Jewish tradition expect a return of Moses and Elijah in the future, and that's in, in, uh, uh, in Malachi 4.5. Um, he predicted the return of Elijah, and um, the Jews believed in a promise that God would raise up a prophet like Moses in Deuteronomy 18. So there's a lot of these sort of verses that tie in to point to um, Moses and Elijah. However, there's a little issue with that. We'll talk about that. So let's, but let's talk, we'll talk about that issue as we talk about the next possibility, which would be Enoch and Elijah. And um, they're seen as opportunities because they're the two individuals in the Bible that God had taken up to heaven apart from experiencing death. If you read about these guys, they just went straight up to heaven and they skipped the whole physical death thing. Um, in Genesis 5, 23 and 24, it says, Altogether Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God and then was no more because God took him away. Good walk that he had going on there. Well, he was walking with Jesus, and one day he was just walking with Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just whoop. Pretty cool. And then in 2 Kings 2.11, as they were walking along and talking together, that's Elijah and Elisha, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated through them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. So, um, while that's important, why that's important is this, that neither one of them experienced death, and um, that would qualify them to experience the death and resurrection that the two witnesses experience in Revelation 11. Um, so what, what ties into this one is a verse in Hebrews 9.27, which you should write down. It's an important verse anyway, even apart from this. Um, Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face a judgment. That's a pretty big verse in light of a lot of sort of uh, New Age, Eastern viewpoint about death and reincarnation. That the Word of God says once, and then the judgment. Um, and so that's a pretty important verse to us to know. And um, that verse seems to disqualify Moses from being one of the two witnesses because Moses has already died once. And we know that from Deuteronomy uh, 34.5. Um, however, that being said, there are some people in the Bible who die twice. Uh, because we have Lazarus who died and was brought back and then he does die again, we think. And Dorcas, the daughter of the synagogue ruler, she was dead and she came back to life. Um, so uh, based on that, there's the, it, Moses doesn't have to be disqualified. And you have the, the whole thing of Moses being there at the, at the transfiguration, which is pretty significant. So um, we're not sure, but all those are good candidates. And then that being said, it doesn't have to be anybody from history. It could just be to to believers that God empowers. He empowers people all the time to do stuff that are supernaturally empowered to do this thing um, for three and a half years. And, and so, because um, if uh, you would think that if it was any of these guys I just mentioned, that, that the Bible would probably make us let, us, let it be known, possibly, you know, why not? Um, and that God is perfectly capable of taking two sort of ordinary non-historical believers and... and uh, doing these things, these same signs and wonders that Moses and Elijah did. He can do that. Um, that he's God. So um, there's nothing in Revelation 11 that would require us to have a famous uh, identity for the two witnesses. So, so uh, you know, I, I like to give you lots of different options. I'm, if you've ever studied Revelation, you've, you've probably got one of those, and that's fine. Keep them. 
But it could be that it ain't, it, you know, maybe it's you. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> you better practice your fire breathing. <laughs> if you wake up one day and sneeze a fire, you might have some work coming your way. Achoo! Oh my goodness. What'd you say? Uh, that's another story. Okay. So uh, we talked about that and why they're plausible. Good. Then, um, so verses 14 through 19, the seventh trumpet sounded. So, and that, this, is, this is the pretty much the announcement of the coming king and it's the unleashing of the final round of judgments upon the earth. And, and we'll see these, um, the vile judgments that, that uh, pop out next. And um, uh, they'll start coming, and it's, it's a really, really... You think it was bad, it gets worse um, until Jesus comes back. But there is something I like in verse 19 that I think is interesting. I don't know if you saw this as we were reading it. There's something there. When the, when the temple in, in heaven was opened, there's something in the temple, um, and, and, and it, it was the Ark of the Covenant. You go, huh. What, well, what's the Ark of the Covenant doing in heaven? And, and so the question is, is, is it the Ark of the Covenant that we're used to talking about and heeding about here? Probably not. Um, um, but remember that the articles in the tabernacle were copies of heavenly things. Now some people believe because of that verse that at some point um, God brought the Ark back to heaven because of, there it is. But remember everything that they were making in the tabernacle was a copy of a heavenly thing. Um, in Hebrews 9.23 says it was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves are better sacrifices than these. Hebrews 8, 5, and they serve at a sanctuary that's a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. And this is why Moses, Moses was warned when he was about to build a tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So um, it's, it's probably not the Ark of the Covenant that we had, which could still be around somewhere. There's a lot of speculation that it's holed up somewhere, um, which is pretty cool. And you never know when something like that will pop up, archaeologically. It's, you know, there's lots of theories on it. I don't know what to believe. You know, there's all sorts of theories about where it is. It's, you know, it's in this monastery, that monastery, or it's buried here, or it's taken there, whatever. But, um, but certainly if we need to see it, God will, God will make it manifest because he's God. And he's able to do that regardless of what anybody would, would uh, not want us to see. So... Um, I just thought that was interesting when you read that and you go, hey, that's the Ark of the Covenant. It, it, it is. Um, but uh, we, had, we had copies, although you know, God was in the, in the copies that we had here in the tabernacle because he brought his presence and put it there. But um, it's a, they were all copies of the heavenly tabernacle. So we'll relate to it. Uh, um, when we see him, a lot of this stuff is going to go, hey, I know this. Do you ever think about that? He's made it so that you're, a lot of this stuff's going to go, hey, I understand that. I get that. I understand that. So, that's what he's done. Okay, good enough for that. Um, uh, we'll pick it up next week. Chapter 12 is a crazy chapter, so read it ahead if you can, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. If you're watching by video or on television, thank you. Appreciate you doing that. Um, you can always go to our website, and if you need prayer or something, and we'll, we'll do our best to pray for you, and visit us whenever you can. God bless you. Thanks for being here.